Expos. You're worth so much more on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Welcome into Overaligned, the Thursday edition again. Ebo still in Mexico. He'll be back on Monday. I'll be your host, Rowdy. Across from me, Ben Kenny will be joining me all week. Ben, it wasn't easy, but the Wisconsin Badgers got it done in overtime against the Penn State Nittany Lions, 79-74 to in overtime. It felt like a must win, and the Badgers got it done. What's up? Good morning. Uh, fire guard. Is that what we're going to do today? Or because they won, is, is everything fine now? The Badgers season is extended for another game. Hey, and and did this feel like a must win? Like if they lost this game, season's over. You have you have no faith they're going to the NCAA tournament, right? Sure, sure. And and that's more because of the outlook over at the last six games. Because again, the path has always been there to make the tournament. There is there is enough there resume wise if you are to win games down the stretch that can get you in. But you needed games like this. I like this win, <clears throat> five win, uh, five point win in overtime where they shot. They had their best season uh, best game of the season from the field I believe it makes the two Northwestern games feel worse because they actually played pretty well last night overall uh, they shot much better from the line Tyler Wall looked much l- more like his normal self as CJ and Chucky shot well from three it makes it it makes the Northwestern games feel worse because if you can make free throws you win those two games and we're talking about a drastically different situation but you look forward and it's it's Nebraska on Saturday, on the road, and Nebraska's not a very good team. And that, I think you have to win that game as well. So the the path is there. I, I think this game will do a lot in terms of confidence because they're coming off a stretch of like the worst basketball we've seen them play in years where, again, they just could not make free throws, couldn't finish at the rim. To do all of those things and still need overtime to win, I think it'll go a long way. Yeah, this is obviously one of the best games the Badgers have played offensively or just overall. They look so much better. Like Out of the eight guys that played, you can't say any of them really had a terrible game. Everyone played pretty well. Jordan Davis, too. Knocking down shots off the bench. Obviously, Connor Asijin was hot all night. Tyler Wall, I saw a lot of people tweeting, Tyler Wall is back. That was by far his best game since he came back from that ankle injury You know, over the past three weeks. Even Max Klesman from time to time hit a shot. I mean, the team played extremely well, and one of the things early was that their big men kind of got in foul trouble. Stephen Crowell picked up two quick fouls. Uh, Carter Gilmore picked up two quick fouls, and it was kind of like, um, man, are they going to figure this one out? Because it was a it was a pretty good back and forth game, pretty much the entire game. Wisconsin looked good, but there was a part of me, Ben, down the stretch that said, oh no. Here we go again. They're leaving the door open. Are they going to let Penn State walk through that door and come back and find a way to beat them? But no, they uh, they they found a way to win. Chucky Hepburn with a big shot down the stretch. Obviously, Tyler Wall was huge. It was a good team effort overall. And man, Penn State hit some tough shots to stay in that game too. Some big time threes. Yeah, I mean that's this is all the nature of basketball as a sport where even like we saw how bad it can be from the field and from the line and how they can lose because of it. And then it felt like they did almost everything right last night, but Penn state was there hitting tough shots to extend it. So that's just the nature of the sport. And again, they're four point dogs on the road, not a game they were expected to win and they went in and won it. And that's a, that's a solid Penn state team. They beat It's not amazing by any means, but they they were 11 and one at home on the season. They were, they had been terrific there. So I, it, it's a huge win. And Tyler wall did say after the game too, that this is like, he feels like he felt right for the first time since coming back from the injury. Yeah. You mentioned it. Penn state's not an easy place to play and it hasn't been an easy place to play for even just Wisconsin when they've had good teams over the past 20 years. So yes, definitely a big win for the Badgers. And also, like you mentioned, it felt like you absolutely needed that game, and now you, you're you on to Nebraska. On to Nebraska. That's another team that you have to beat that you're ahead of in the standings. You go in to, uh, to Lincoln, get a win on the road on Saturday, you're right back to 500 in the conference because 
there has been a little bit of a breakup of some of those middling teams in the Big Ten over the past week, but it's still extremely tight. Like, Wisconsin is essentially within two games from, I think it's nearly like eight teams. So there's they're still right in it, but they needed that win. Again, Nebraska coming up. But going into this week, Wisconsin was kind of in a tough spot. According to Joe Lenardi, Wisconsin was in the first four, or sorry, the next four out. And they were the best team in the next four out category. So technically they would be like the fifth fifth team out of the tournament. You know who else was coming in on that same next four out? Penn State. They needed that win against Penn State because it was a team that they're competing with on the bubble, a team that they're competing with uh, in conference right right there on that fringe line looking to make a run. Wisconsin got it done. But again, both uh, Joe Lenardi's bracketology and Ken Palm's rankings, Wisconsin is still right there on the fringe for the NCAA tournament. And yes, uh, going forward, you, you kind of mentioned it. Yep, Nebraska is next. That is a, a big game that they need to win. But after that, it really doesn't get very easy for Wisconsin. They got some. They got a lot of home games, but a lot of tough home games. You got Michigan, Rutgers, Iowa, all consecutively at home. Those are those are uh, big time games against three teams that are in the top five of the Big Ten. And again, Wisconsin's still sitting there at six and seven, heading to Lincoln. I am. I'm searching Fire Guard on Twitter uh, to see if the people were out. Like I, this is just the issue with basketball. I think where uh, you play multiple games a week and there are a lot of games during the season and you go on runs like in football. Uh, I, I mean, obviously if you go on a three game losing streak, it's <clears throat> that's a month of, of losing overall, but you don't see the hot streaks and the cold streaks in football because of how one off the games are. So I don't think you see this reaction or normally, I guess you did with Chris, but that was a different situation here. It's like they play three, two, three games a week and you have a couple of days before the next game and everyone feels like they have to get off their chest. Oh, uh, they lost again. Let's fire him. I mean, like they went on the road and won and, and they played better. Like this is what I've been saying when it comes to him. I there, it, it's only to a point that he can actually control whether the team makes baskets. And I thought Tyler Wall and Stephen Crowell both were tremendous passing the ball last night, 12 assists together. And I saw that uh, there were 30-something points scored on those assists. And uh, that Connor Siegen three, I think, in overtime. Really good pass by, by Wall there inside. But they made free throws. They, they made the baskets down low. Tyler Wall had a couple big layups down the stretch that were contested that he didn't use to make. There's only a certain point where that's the coaching being able to direct it at some point, you just need the guys to play well and hit the shots. And and they finally did. And they won. And I, I don't mean to oversimplify the, the where the program stands and everything. But when we come away from a game like Northwestern and both of them, frankly, and many people want to jump on guard for all of the struggles that the team is having, like this is the opposite effect, you know? And, and, and I know they still feel the same way. They're just not going to say it. But do you give him credit now that Jordan Davis hit a couple threes and now that uh, Connor Siegel went four for seven from deep and Hepburn five for nine and the team made free throws? Uh, or is it just going to be let's wait in the darkness until the next loss and let's come out and talk about it? Well, I think the biggest thing when you look at the Wisconsin Badgers who improved to 14 and nine and six and seven in the Big Ten. If fans could get both Northwestern games and Michigan State back, I mean, then you're looking at a 17 and six record. Exactly, you're, you're nine and four in the Big Ten, and you're actually in that top four tier. But man, those games were so brutal. Like Illinois, both Illinois games, you kind of got outclassed with and, and Illinois without is Wall. really good. And, and same with Indiana on the road. Indiana's proving that they're a really good. They're team. really good. And then Maryland, Maryland is a team where Wisconsin might doesn't necessarily match up well with because of all of their talent and size down low. Um, but yeah, if you could just get those three games back, it's both Northwestern games and the Michigan State game where Tyler Wall was out and you could just, they were exposed down low. Oh, they should have easily won that game too. It's, especially if Tyler Wall was there, they win that game. Even with him playing poorly, just 
I know they flashed up one of the stats on Tyler Wall with and without him. And yeah, the offense, it's slightly better with Tyler Wall. But the real the real missing piece is the defense. When, when Tyler Wall's not there, teams are averaging like eight, nine more points per game. So that was the huge thing. Like, yeah, he's back against Michigan State. They would have won those games. But that's that's a huge three-game swing, though, because you lost all of those games by four points and less. Right. And and I don't want to do the what if because obviously they did lose and it's not as if we can revise it. But it's interesting to see the context again as to how they lost those games. And I would put a lot of it on just the execution of basic basketball things. It wasn't some glaring coaching mismatch, or at least I didn't see it as that. Uh, yes, uh, again, and, and you could go last night even. There's the two Chucky Hepburn threes at the end of regulation. One of them went in and then the other at the buzzer missed. Those moments I get, and you could criticize the coach for not getting them into an offense if you think that would work better, but at the end of the day, yes, that is a critical play that could win a game, but that's only one play over the grand course of the game, right? I'm glad I'm glad you brought up the coach getting them into a play because I don't know if you saw this last night, but uh, obviously... Chucky Hepburn, he kind of did one of those. It was they cleared it out, isolation for Chucky. Chucky make a play, right? And it was kind of like one of those was like, no, 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 no. yes, yes, where he drills Which, the three. By the way, you go back to Maui or whatever invitational thing they played in the Bahamas. That's, that's been their play every single time they've gotten to the end of games. That has been what they went to. Remember Kansas, where they where they missed a shot at the buzzer or maybe two shots at the buzzer. Like that's always what they've done. Because if you look at this team, Chucky Hepburn is probably the only one really uh, creating shots off the off of his own dribble. I will say this: the last couple of games, Connor Asijin is showing that he can make some plays off the dribble too. He's, he's on had the a, offensive side. Yeah, on the offensive side, he's he's had a couple of big buckets. Now, I would actually say he made a couple of good defensive plays. Now, clearly, Penn State was targeting him and going at him all night long, but there were a couple of plays down the stretch where he knocked balls loose that were some big plays because it looked like the guy had an edge on him and had a step. Now, the one thing that I want to bring up about Greg Gard, people, people Wait, I will criticize say quick, him. Uh, before you do that, in terms of a siege, he reminds me on defense like uh, like a cornerback that leads the league and passes defended because the best co- – like, like a, a – I don't want to say James Bradbury because he's very good, but, you know, name a – Name a, a like a Rasul Douglas, maybe. I don't know. Name, name a solid corner, but who gets targeted all game because the corner on the other side is just so damn good. So they never throw at them. So then the, their numbers, it's like, oh, 40 passes defended. It's like that's only because they were going after you every single play. Yeah, they were they were clearly targeting him, but it was nice to see him make a few plays. Like he's a freshman. Obviously, he's not as strong as he's going to be the second part of his career. He. He's not the best defensively, but I, I feel like he's showing improvement. Yeah, they're coming at him, but he's not as bad as he was, you know, a month ago. Yeah, he is. Now, he is. sorry, guard. The, Gre- the, Gre- the Greg guard calling plays. So Chucky Hepburn, obviously we've seen a lot of the plays being isolations for Chucky. Let Chucky make a play. How about Greg guard freaking out when it looked like that they were supposed to clear it out, but then Tyler Wall got the ball, and they they basically sagged off him so hard that I think his defender was was back at the free throw line, and Tyler Wall's got a wide open three, and, and he goes up with it and obviously bricks it. Greg Gard was losing his mind on the sideline, and and I hundred percent agree with him. I was sitting there and I'm like, oh, okay, it looks like they're gonna go with Chucky. Okay, they they get it to Tyler Wall. Oh no. Oh, oh no. His guy is sagging so far off him. He's going to shoot this ball and he shoots the ball. It's like, no, just drive to the hoop. Just back him down. He's already at the free throw line or, or, you know, make a pass. But yes, Greg guard, that was clearly not the play that was drawn up when Tyler wall shot. Yeah, the three. Well, that's the issue. It's like trying to draw up a game ending play with Ben Simmons when the defense, not to draw the Tyler wall, Ben Simmons comparison, though, there could be something there in terms of how they attack the basket. But the defense is able to just go back in the paint, which then makes it harder to run any other plays. So when you're in that time crunch scenario, like I, I don't love just isolation hero ball. If they could run a great set, then awesome. But out of all the guys on the court that you actually trust to get a shot off, 
Chucky Hepburn is the guy, the the single guy that can do that. Otherwise, you're you're running a play and the clock is not your friend because you only have how, however many seconds left. And you don't know if you're going to get a good look at the end of it. Like ideally you do, but you don't know what that look will be. Is it a is it a corner three from from a, a guy like Jordan Davis or somebody? I, I don't know if he's on the court. So uh, but but again, that's one or two plays on the in the grand course of a game. And I know that if you look like it directly could swing it if it's tied and you need to win. But I, there's so much more that goes on during the course of a game where like those moments, while they are important, it's it's about what you do to lead up to that moment. Now, I will say this. You mentioned Connor Asijin and that big shot that he hit in overtime. That was one where it looked like it was almost like an improv on a play that was called to get him open. And I, I really do think, especially the you know the last few weeks here, kind of when the Badgers have been struggling, I think Connor Asijin's been uh, featured a little bit more on offense because he is one of those guys that can knock down shots. It's him and Chucky Hepburn, and, and he really has created some of his more offense that he really wasn't showing earlier in the season because he would say early in the season he was basically a come off a screen, hit the shot, or an open guy in the corner, hit the shot. I think he's showing improvement both offensively and defensively even in the last month, even though it might be getting lost because of how poorly the team has played overall. Yeah, overall, I thought that that was that – was, the Badgers played a really, really solid game. I don't think you could look at one player and be like, man, I thought that they needed to play better. I thought everyone kind of played up to their role. I mean, you you look at it with Stephen Crowell and Carter Gilmore kind of getting in foul trouble. I thought they did quite well with those two big men in foul trouble, being that they only have three big men that they consistently play. I mean, Asijin was hitting shots. Hepburn was hitting shots. Which, like, you saying this, that there probably is not, you can't say guys had to play much better. I agree overall, especially compared to what we've seen recently. But that tells you how this team still at the heart, which is what I've been saying for weeks, like, isn't that good. Well, they had to play this they win well. These games. They had to play this well to win on, in, overtime in overtime against a Penn State team that's a fringe tournament team, right? But and and it's on the road and it's the Big Ten and Penn State's not not a pushover. They're not bad, but still, like if you go to last year's team and you have everyone play their A game, you're you're beating Penn State by ten to fifteen probably, and, and that's just the case of what this team is. Rob Reichel. Our guy from Forbes.com, Conley Media. I want to welcome in Rob. Rob, how are we doing this Thursday morning? Oh, I am terrific. Hey, before we get started, I, I just want to I want to say one hey, real quick thing, guys. Hey, Benny, how are you? Good. Yeah, all-time Badger good guy and phenomenal basketball player, Tim Locum. Uh, played in the late 80s and early 90s. I, I just saw this morning lost his son. So let's... Uh, Let's everyone out wow. there say a prayer for Tim. He was, he was, he was Connor Asijin guys thirty years ago in terms of a shooter. Not quite uh, for the for the young kids out there who don't know this. He was uh, not as athletic probably as Connor, but just a, a, a lights out dead eye shooter and you know just awful awful news. So so I, before before we get rolling on stuff that doesn't matter quite as much, lot, lots of prayers go up for Tim Locum and his family. Definitely. Definitely. Wow. Didn't know that. Thanks. I, I, I was going to ask about whether school was closed today, but I'm going to put that aside now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's quite the world we live in, right? When, when Gary Canalti is the most powerful man in town. Um, but let's talk. Uh, let's, uh, let's, yeah, talk let's rip the band aid off. Let's rip it off, Rob. We have to do this. Rip it off. It's been something that, you know, I don't think anyone has enjoyed talking about especially lately. It's like everyone's getting sick and tired of it. But then every other day there's another comment or another report from Adam Schefter. So we're just going to rip the Aaron Rodgers Band-Aid off. What are your thoughts about his darkness retreat? It's funny, guys. When that went down the other day, I got, I got a text from a friend of mine in the league who uh, who said, can they send him to a – can they send him to a, you know, a dark place in a Turkish prison? Um, you know, that's, that, that, that's at the point I think a lot of people are at. I, I saw Terry Bradshaw ripped him overnight, you know, at, at the Super Bowl and, and said, you know, uh, enough of this already. How, you know, and I think it's cool. Was don't, doesn't everyone get tired of it or something like that? And, 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 and we do. And, 
And Aaron knows how to play this perfectly, guys, right? He hijacked the NFL draft in, in 2021 by, by getting the news out there. I mean, whether that was him or Schefter, it was, you know, certainly together on some level, um, you know, that, that he wanted out of Green Bay. Guys, if you do the math from the four days where he went into darkness, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be Saturday night, Sunday. He's going to certainly has the potential to hijack the Super Bowl. He's hijacking Super Bowl week again. You know, a lot of, a lot of people, you know, at Radio Roll certainly are, are talking a lot more about Aaron Rodgers and his future than they are Eagles and Chiefs. And Aaron knows how to play this perfectly. You know, he and he and McAfee, um, you know, kind of choreograph, what, you know, the topics and, and, and how are they going to make news and how are they going to stay in the news and how are they going to stay relevant all week. And they usually come up with something pretty creative and clever. And, and, that, and that's what obviously, you know, happened this week. And it's got people like us and across the state talking about it and, and really across the league, guys. And, I mean, I mean let, let's be honest. Aaron's not going anywhere. He, he's got, you know, he's got almost $60 million sitting there on the table for him if he comes back, guys, next year. Um, you, you do the math on that, right? 17 games, he's going to make about $3.5 million every game that he plays. And that's if he suits up all 17. I mean, you're – your average guy driving around right now listening to this guy's, you know, has to make a hundred grand for the next thirty five years to match what Aaron's gonna make one Sunday afternoon against the Lions. So Aaron's not going anywhere. Um and, and number you know, number one, because of the financial reasons, guys, and, and he's not gonna let sixty million dollars go. Number two, you know, he, he's not gonna go into the Hall of Fame the same year Tom Brady is. He he's not gonna let his ego or his ego is not gonna let him do something like that. What you know what whatsoever where he takes a back seat on Hall of Fame weekend to to the greatest quarterback who ever played. Um so so that's not gonna happen. So now we hit the point where is Aaron gonna be next year? I, I talked to a lot of people who are at the senior bowl guys. The buzz around that place uh you know la- last week was Brian Gutekunst has told a number of people in the league he is all in on Jordan Love next year. He's hundred percent committed to Jordan Love. It's why we've heard so many of these Rogers trade rumors trickling out there and, 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 and leaking out um, of, of possible destinations. It's, it's Rogers indicating on the McAfee show that, that, that he's not happy that he hasn't been consulted on some of these things, which lets you know, there's a lot of, you know, workings going on behind the scenes. So, um, you know, he's in this four day darkness period, guys. We'll, we'll see what happens when it comes out. But I, I, I think you connect the dots and common sense tells you, He's obviously playing football uh, next year, and and I think it's looking more and more likely that it's not in Green Bay. Now, to your point with the Brian Gutekunst maybe talking to some people at the Senior Bowl, obviously this could be a smoke screen, but sometimes where there's smoke, there's fire. But Ben and I were, were kind of casually talking about this Aaron Rodgers conversation, and all of a sudden, uh, the last day or two, Green Bay was the heavy favorite to retain Aaron Rodgers. Now all of a sudden you have the Raiders up there. You have the Jets that have passed him in odds. So clearly someone thinks they know something in Vegas because these odds are changing. Yeah, you're you're exactly right, Nelly. And 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 I'm always fascinated by those Vegas odds too because they they've got moles all over the place. And usually when you follow Vegas and and what they're you know, the numbers that they're putting on things, it, it usually winds up accurate. Now, it hasn't in the past couple of years with some of this Aaron Rodgers stuff. When he wanted out of Green Bay, you know, in the, in the spring of 2021, there were a number of teams that jumped to the forefront there um, and, and, and were at least on a par even, you know, had, had uh, greater odds of Rodgers going there. Uh, it was the same thing last offseason a couple different times where Green Bay at times I think was not the favorite to retain Aaron Rodgers, and, and that's the case now. I just and, and we've talked about this on you know on the show in the past, guys. I, I just think if you're Green Bay, you really can't wait any longer for a couple reasons. You know you, you've got to find out here in year four what you have in Jordan Love. You, you, you've got to pick up that fifth year option in all likelihood and and decide then if if he's your guy of the future moving forward. I mean, he's 15 years younger than Aaron. It's, it's time to figure out if he's your next potential quarterback. And, and then, and then if he's not guys, uh, you know, you, you move on from there and, and, and you just see, you, you try to unearth the next, the next guy, but the Rogers era, you know, I, I think came to a feeble and meek end uh, about a month ago on, you know, on, on the final week of the year against the lions. There's really no reason to run it back here. You're looking at 12 straight seasons where that team has not won a Super Bowl or even gotten back to a Super Bowl with Aaron Rodgers. I mean, how many, 
How many times can you try pushing that boulder up the hill and it falls back and it runs you over and, and you discover that it hurts quite a bit. They, they've got to, they've got to look for a new path. I think guys of, of trying to get back to the Super Bowl because the $60 million quarterback who doesn't play anymore, like a $60 million quarterback is not your answer uh, of, of, of getting to this final weekend of the season. You know, you, you, you can invest that kind of money in, in a Patrick Mahomes guys. And I think feel comfortable with it because he's the best player on the planet. And we may end up saying he's the best player in the history of the league a decade from now. You can't say that these days with Aaron Rodgers. Uh, n- n- nothing close to a, to a statement like that. He was as mediocre as mediocre gets in, uh, in, in 2022. And you just, you can't afford to tie up that percentage of your cap space to a player that underperforms this contract as much as Aaron Rodgers did guys in, in 2022. So, I mean, I, I, I do think it's time. And, and I think Gutekunst and the organization finally realized that the longer you wait guys, the, the less you're going to get in terms of draft capital, you're already looking at, you know, if, if you're the Packers getting far less than they did two years ago and certainly last off season, I still think they'll get a couple of pretty high picks back, maybe a one and a three, a one and a two, even if you find the right taker, uh, maybe a pair of ones or something like that. So now's the time to do it. The quarterback turns 40 during the season this year. Um, he's not improving. He, he's getting worse. He's not committed in the off season like some of these guys. He's not all in. Um, I mean, in, in, in his own words, he's still deciding if he even wants to play or not. And, and that's not that's not an all-in guy. That's not a team guy. Um, he, he's never really been a team guy. And, and I think it's time to turn the page and move forward with guys that are kind of all on, on the same path and, and, the, and the same, um, you know, kind of, kind of wavelength of trying to get the Packers back to greatness. So, Rob, the Eagles, speaking of getting back to the Super Bowl, the Eagles are in the Super Bowl right now. And it's interesting because when you look back at what they were a couple years ago, they had a, a quarterback that was not performing to the level of his contract, and they had a youngster that they had just drafted and drafted as the backup and maybe as an insurance plan or the heir if it all worked out. Now we see what Jalen Hurts there has become where even last year, I mean, he wasn't playing up to an MVP level. He made big strides in his game uh, and, and showed as a leader, and, and as like the focal point of the football team that he could bring a team as far as he's taking them. Do you think Jordan love can be Jalen hurts? Do you think uh, take a, like the talent is one thing, but do you think he can command the team and such like Jalen hurts does and bring the Packers back to that point? Yes. Jalen hurts, by the way, Benny, four years, $6 million, right? So he's playing for a million and a half a year. Um, and, and that, and that's why a team like the Eagles, have the best offensive line in football and can have terrific talent around him at all these other positions. It's, it's the perfect path to building a Super Bowl championship. If you can get, you know, a top 12 quarterback, let's say, and Hurts is a top five guy or top seven or something like that at worst these days. Um, and, and then, you, you know, you, you load the roster up around him. To your specific question on love, I mean, I, I, I believe he can. Yes, Benny. I mean, what the Packers believe, I guess, is a whole other story. I would say by this point in time, though, after three years of watching Jordan Love, they know fully in Green Bay whether he can be that guy or not. I mean, you, you, you flash it back to, you know, the 07, 08 timeline where where Brett was wrapping it up and they were ready to move on to Aaron. They knew Aaron was going to be the guy. Um, and they've seen Jordan Love in practice every single day against the ones at various times. The good, you know, going against the Jair Alexanders and the Adrian Amoses and, you know, et cetera, the, the, the number one defense on a consistent basis. Uh, whether Jordan Love can be that guy. I think there were, you know, some real impressive signs in terms of his potential and his development last year, particularly in that Eagles game. And, and I know Philly was playing soft that day um, as, as Green Bay tried to rally it back. But, you know, he was 6-9 and nine that day, guys, for, for 113 yards, and he had two really bad drops. If you remember, he threw a dime to Aaron Jones on the back shoulder that Jones, that Jones dropped, and he threw what should have been a touchdown to Randall Cobb that Cobb dropped. I mean, he was six of nine for one thirteen with a touchdown the way it was, and he probably should have been eight of nine with, with a couple touchdowns. He made he made a couple of throws in that game that I don't think more than ten or twelve guys in the league can make. Now that doesn't mean he can do it consistently and week in and week out. It's going to be a growth process. It's going to be a learning curve. But but don't forget either. Green Bay was thirteen and three in two thousand and seven with Favre. They brought back twenty one starters the next year. 
And the only switch that they made was Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre. And the following year, they went 6-10, and 10, a seven-game decline. It's the greatest drop in a one-year period in franchise history, that year where they went from, from Brett to Aaron. Now, by 08, it, it took a while. They, they were, you know, they were 500 at midseason uh, in 08. So Aaron actually, in his first 24 starts, guys, was 10-14. and 14, And there was a lot of heat on everybody over there. Ted Thompson, Mike McCarthy, Aaron Rodgers, uh, the, the president of the organization, did, did the Packers totally bomb and make a colossal disaster move by moving on from Brett Favre because he was tearing it up, you remember, in 09 with Minnesota. And what did Green Bay do? They got red hot with Aaron. They, they closed 09, 7-1, and, 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 and lost that thriller to Arizona in the playoffs. And then 2010, they get hot and win the Super Bowl. Um, you know, so it's you know, even if my point with all that betting is, even when they do turn the page, and, and, and I think they're going to, it's not going to be overnight with Jordan Love. He's not going to come in and they're going to win 13 games or something like that, especially because they're still in salary cap hell. And I think they're going to have to cut some key veterans around him, no matter what, to get to get to the number they want to get to this year that they have to get to when it comes to the salary cap. But I definitely think by 2024, 2025, you're looking at Jordan Love as you know probably one of the 12 best quarterbacks in the league. Your salary cap is back in line, and and then if you can get things kind of figured out and 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 hit on the draft picks you would get for Aaron Rodgers you might jump right back to the top of the division and make yourself a player again in the NFC pretty quickly. Rob Reichel, our, <clears throat> excuse me, Rob Reichel, our Packers insider from Forbes.com, Conley Media joining us. Rob, I got one more question for you. Now, regardless of what happens, I think we're all, we're all pretty sure that Aaron Rodgers comes back, but they're going to be paying Aaron Rodgers whether they trade him or keep him. They got to make some roster moves to get under the cap still. They have guys like David Bakhtiari, Aaron Jones, uh, Rashawn Gary needs an extension. Those type of players where you need to adjust their contracts. What do you think, whether it's Jordan Love or Aaron Rodgers, what do you think some of the moves this offseason might be for the Green Bay Packers to get under that salary cap and to still be competitive? Yeah, I wrote that the other day at, at, at Forbes, uh, Nelly, so people can go there and check it out. It's at Conley as well. Um, as you and I talk, they're 17 and a half million over the cap, um, with their top 51. And, and, and that's just getting your books in order, you know, by, by March 15th, the start of the new league year. Um, and that doesn't even count signing your draft picks, trying to, trying to touch any of these unrestricted free agents that you have. Um, you know, so it, it's going to be a, it's going to be a poor football team in all likelihood, in 2023 than it was in 2022. And we know they were eight and nine a year ago um, and, and, and took a major step back from where they were in, you know, 19, 20 and 21. And, and, and I do think Nelly that they're probably going to be worse in 2022 until some of these young guys really start growing up. But specifically to your question, you know, a couple of these guys, they could cut them tomorrow and save some money. Let's start with Bakhtiari, for example, he's his cap hit right now for next year is, is 29 million. They could cut him now and his dead caps about 23. So you'd save about 6 million, but if they cut him after June 1st, Nelly, they, they get, they get much more cap space back with guys like him and Preston Smith, where if they made those moves post June one, um, you know, Preston Smith today, they'd save about three and a half million on, for example, if, if, if they did cut him, both of those guys, you start to talk about, you know, on Preston Smith, seven, eight million, you would save on, on Bakhtiari, you know, you're, you're talking 15, 16 million, something like that. Instead, where, where if, if you made those moves post June one, um, of, of those cuts, you, you could make dramatic cap savings and, and they may go that potential route with it. Um, you know, so much of this is contingent on whether Rodgers wants to come back and whether they eventually allow him or, or decide to make him their quarterback again in, in 2023. You know, Bakhtiari, for example, is tied to the hip with Rodgers. Cobb is tied to the hip with Rodgers, although I don't, I don't know that Cobb comes back. Rodgers has indicated he wants guys like Big Dog back, you know, Mercedes Lewis. He wants Robert Tunyon back. I, I don't know if that's likely or, or possible or probable just because, again, they're unrestricted free agents and Green Bay doesn't have any money. You certainly mentioned, Nelly, they can do the extension for Rashawn Gary. That would make some sense. Uh, Aaron Jones, if, uh, you know, his cap hit, I think, Nelly, is $20 million. Uh, his dead cap is is about nine and a half. If they had to make the move of cutting Aaron Jones there, you know you save ten and a half million dollars by doing that. 
Um, odds are they'll try to get him to restructure instead, but there's no guarantee that that's possible. You might be looking at a backfield heading into draft night of, of really A.J. Dillon and a lot of questions if, if they can't get something figured out with Aaron Jones. So Yeah, a lot, of, are, a lot of question marks for the Green Bay Packers on who to keep, who to extend, who to cut or restructure. Yeah. But, uh, Rob, we're running really, really late, late here. I have right, one question for you, and I want to, uh, real quick, if you could cut one, who would you cut? Greg Gard, Craig Council, or Aaron Rodgers? Oh, I mean, like move on from yes, 100%. move on from him. Yeah, I, I think the quarterback's act has just gotten too old, and I think it's the, he's a declining player, and it's just it's time it's time to find out what you have with the next guy. So, I, yeah, I would definitely circle Aaron Rodgers in that category. All right. Rob's on the board with Aaron Rodgers. Rob, thanks for joining us. Uh, Ebo will be back next week. Appreciate it. We can kind of get into more of the Senior Bowl stuff and maybe roster who they're potentially interested in in the draft. Well, we'll uh, we'll have a lot to talk about too. How his four day darkness period went? I'm sure, guys. Yeah, thanks, Rob. Thanks, Rob. All right, guys. A lot of fun. Now, we haven't talked to this guy all week, but I wanted to bring him in after a big Wisconsin basketball game. So, uh, without further ado, let's go to the phone lines and talk to sports director Zach Heilprin. Zach, how are we doing this morning? I'm doing fantastic. What's up, Zach? Benjamin. Haven't seen you since uh, I haven't seen you in a while, but I'm looking forward to tonight, five to six at Monks and Sun Prairie, Kenny and Heilprin. A lot of uh, a lot of good chatter to come, but a, a good win for the Badgers last night. They were four point dogs on the road. They pick up a five point overtime victory over Penn State. I guess we'll start big picture. What, what did you think about the performance? Offensively, it was great. And you get contributions up and down the line. You shoot 52.8%, which went back and looked. It's the best they've shot in a game since December, I think it was 19th of 2020 against Louisville wow. when, they blew, when they blew Louisville out. A, a, a COVID, I mean, COVID had taken Louisville to the woodshed, and they only had like, felt like five or six players that could actually go on the court. On the court. But yeah, it, it was a really, really good offensive performance. Um, Before you said that, Zach, I was thinking when we came in here this morning, I was like, man, that might have been like the best game they've played all year. But I didn't want to have recency bias because they did play so well, especially in that non-conference part of the season. But now you saying that kind of reaffirms maybe maybe I was on the right track. Offensively, yeah. I mean, offensively, it was just as good as they've looked all year. And because it's we we know offense has been a bit of a bit of a struggle. Bit of a struggle at times this year, but yeah, offensively they were great, and you know the, the performances you got from Tyler Wall and Chucky Hepburn, Connor Asijin, even Max Klesman with the late bucket, Jordan Davis. It just felt like they got contributions from everywhere on the offensive end. They got some big defensive minutes from from Max and, and even Carter Gilmore and Tyler Wall. So I mean, there were it was a uh, a really nice performance. You wish they could have, you know, not uh, tried to give it away there. I mean, they always seem to give up that. That run, and it was a 13-3 run when they were up seven and then go down three with about eight minutes left in the game. You always you don't want that, but uh, they didn't fold. And there have been times this year where they, they kind of haven't been able to overcome those runs, and, and they did last night and fought and desperately needed a win, and they got it. Yeah, I'm not going to lie, Zach. There was a part of me that towards that end of the game, it was like, oh, no. Are they going to do it again? Are they are they going to leave the door open so Penn State can walk through it and, and blow a game on the road, especially another game that it was pretty much a must win? But no, they they held on, found ways to to score points and get some stops. But you talked about you know some of the defensive plays because obviously they were they were really good offensively. You can't point to one person and say, man, they weren't very good shooting the basketball last night. Everyone shot the ball well. Uh, but one thing that I actually noticed, and I think I've noticed it. Probably it actually coincides with the Badgers looking worse the last three weeks. So it's probably hasn't been talked about enough, but Connor is Siegen, We know he's a good shooter. We know he's a good scorer, but I think I've actually seen some improvement in his defense. Now the team has been struggling, but he made a couple of plays last night, especially late poking a ball away or kind of disrupting the offense for Penn state. And now granted, he's not some big time defensive stopper, but it's all of a sudden he's making a few plays and he's a guy that's getting targeted quite often on the defensive side for Wisconsin. He just has to be good enough, right? He doesn't have to be great. He doesn't have to be this 
all-world defender. He just has to be good enough to stay on the floor because you're right, teams are going after him, and we saw it again last night. But, yeah, that was a huge poke away um, late in that game uh, that they were Wisconsin was able. I mean, they're right there. I mean, they had an opportunity to uh, – I think it was – I think it was, the game was tied, and he gets the poke away, or maybe it was – Maybe Wisconsin was up too, but it was a huge, yeah, it was a huge play. He still has lapses, and you kind of saw him. Yeah, you can night, see but that, but you can see he's improving. For sure, for sure. And Penn State again, a very hard team to defend with some of the things that they do, uh, with the way that they move guys off the ball and some of the screens and that type of stuff they do. It's it's not normal for a Wisconsin opponent to play that way. I thought it was interesting. Greg Gard even said that after playing them the last time, they've taken Wisconsin's taken some stuff from Penn State and started using it within their own offense to try and get you know, guys open for looks uh, from beyond the arc. So, yeah, it's, it's a tough team to defend. But, yeah, Connor, um, I thought Connor was really uh, – it was a really tough game for him against Illinois. But these last two games, I think he's kind of had some uh, a little bit of a bounce-back uh, effort. So I, I think this team goes as far as Tyler Wall can take them as we've seen with his injury coinciding with the struggles. And then now, last night looked like his best game since returning from injury. Do you think he's he's totally back? Uh, do you think it was kind of a have to get, get the swing of things again, the speed, the feel back after the injury? Do you think he's back after all that? That was easily his best game since he's been back. I, I get the feeling, just based on the way that he talked and based, with, based on the way that some of the guys were talking to him after the game last night, that... He's still not 100%. Uh, his ankle's not 100%. He's not going to make an excuse. He said, I, you know, I hope it gets better every every game. Probably still doesn't have that same lift that he did uh, prior to the injury. But what he was able to do last night, he didn't force it. And, the, and the, the tough thing with this is some of the teams that he's been playing against have had bigger guys guarding him, and so it's been a little bit more difficult. Penn State doesn't have that guy. They don't have a guy like – a big and multiple bigs that can they can throw at him and Stephen Crowell at the same time. They play small, and that works to Tyler Wall's uh, benefit for sure. Obviously, uh, we, we kind of saw that against them in the first game, where you know he, could, he wasn't great shooting the ball, but he made some plays against a, a little bit of a smaller lineup. I, for Wisconsin's hopes, you're completely right. I don't know about goes as far as he goes, but they need the Tyler Wall from last year, especially around the basket. Like he can rebound and he can assist. I mean, eight assists is amazing last night, but his ability to finish around the rim, it just has to be there. It has to be there because it, it uh, really gives Wisconsin just another weapon and teams, if they're going to come in, they're going to have to start doubling. And we saw that we saw it against Northwestern teams will double him and it opens up the outside shot for some guys. And if he's able to finish inside and make teams pay when they, when they single team them, more double teams will come and more guys will be open. Yeah, and, and Zach, to, to, your, to yours and Ben's point about Tyler Wall and, and how good he played last night and how good they need him to play, I think it was it was actually impressive because we're talking about the game before he looked terrible. And he was called out by Greg Gard, called him out saying, we need better effort from him. We need him to, to score at the rim. We need him to grab more rebounds. And then fast forward, you know, half a week later, not only does he finish at the rim, scores 16 points, but he adds six rebounds and eight assists. I mean, that that was the perfect game for Tyler Wall for a comeback after being called out. I don't know if I don't know if I really now it's not that I really 100 percent pay attention to to press conferences from Greg Gard after every game, but is that the the most Greg Gard has called out a player in recent memory? It's as it's as when I look. When I listen back to the audio, it feels like he's calling him out, but then he stopped short of doing it. He just said, uh, Tyler has more to give, or we, we believe Tyler has more to give. Um, it was, a, it kind of was, but he said that he, him and he does that with Chucky too at times where, you know, he'll say things that usually, you, you know, don't necessarily, it doesn't perk you up except it's Greg Gard saying it. And so um, it's like, Oh, well, okay, that, that that's different than normal, but yeah. So it, it was close. It was close. I mean, after what I think it was after the Illinois game, he said he needs to slow down, and then after the Northwestern game, it was he needs to. Um, he, we need more from him. He can't have five shots. He needs to be more um, uh, aggressive, and he was. And he was early. Like he was demanding the ball early in that game, and got off to such a great start. It just kind of propelled him into what he did. And it wasn't just offense. I mean, he had a couple of huge blocks too on defense and it's uh, Tyler wall is their best all around player. 
like both ends of the floor. He's the most versatile defender they have. He's a guy that, that can score in, in a bunch of ways inside. I don't know how you guys feel about that three-pointer. No, when I, when no, I looked, no, 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 no. That's what I was yelling at the TV. When I, when I went back and looked at it, it's like it's, it's, it's so wide open. Um, it's like Ben and if Simmons. And if, and if you're, but if you're okay with Stephen Crowell taking that shot, and he did at Northwestern, a wide-open shot, and he missed it, why, I mean, why would you not be okay with Tyler Wall taking it? I know it's a, I know it's a tough spot, but he's so wide open. <laughs> I don't. I, they won the game, so it's easier to look back on that shot and be like, eh, eh. But uh, if he takes it again, I, I don't know. Sorry. It's tough. It's tough because it's such a tough thing because he was he's wide open. That's a, that's like a practice shot. And I know you guys, I know everyone hates hearing this, but. When you go and watch these guys at practice, um, they hit these shots all the time in practice. Uh, it's tough. It's yeah. tough. I know most people would say no to it. I, I kind of in a little bit in between on it. Sports director Zach Heilprin joining us. Ben, did you have anything else for Zach? Yeah, it's. I mean, that shot's not the end of the world for me. I, I wanted to ask before we let you go. Uh, and looking forward first to Kenny and Heilprin five to six at Monks and Sun Prairie today. We'll keep talking about the game. We, we have a fun Wisconsin football exercise. We'll we'll run through again. Do you think Coach Guard has done anything different with this game compared to the losing streak, or do you think it's as simple as the team shot a bit better, but not amazing from the free throw line? It was sixty three percent compared to whatever they were before, but they shot the ball well. Do you think it's as simple as just the guys are executing, or do you think Guard did anything different? I look at I look at some of the the shots that they had last night, and I don't think they were a ton different than what they were getting against Northwestern or getting against Illinois or getting against anybody that they played in this this seven this ten game stretch where they're you know three um, what they're three and seven. I don't I don't think that there's been a, a ton different. There wasn't a ton different last night. Guys made some shots. I mean, Chucky make, making you know step back three pointers. You wouldn't always say that that's a great shot, but the way he was putting it in last night, it, it is. And, you know, I don't think there was a ton different last night. It's just they played with, obviously, desperation. And it's not that they haven't played like that before, but they played with desperation and they executed at the same time, and it resulted in putting up 79 points um, and shooting 52.8%. So I don't know if there was anything much different um, that, that we saw last night compared to, to other nights other than a little bit more uh, – um, action to get guys free from beyond the arc. Uh, and last one before we let you go, speak about the the tweet from the Big Ten Network guy because we're going to talk about it tonight as well, but there was something that came out during the game relating to the current age of college basketball and rosters that I, I probably should not have been stated. Yeah, so I don't know how many people remember him. Probably not too many, um, but he was a Trey Demps. He was a guard at Northwestern. Uh, played there five years, was a really good player, uh, is apparently a BTN analyst. And he said last night a couple different times, um, I don't have the tweet right in front of me because he deleted it, but... Uh, I have it. I have yeah, it. He so said, was, quote, if I'm a blue blood, I'm dumping a Brinks truck at that young fella's house, referring was, uh, the young fella being Connor Asijan. Yeah, and he had a couple different tweets like that. He ended up deleting them, but it just feels off. Like, I... <laughs> You're a Big Ten analyst. You're telling a team to come drop a whole bunch of money at him to, to get him to transfer from Wisconsin. And then he kind of went back on it uh, on, on later tweets. It just feels weird. I know college basketball is going this way, but for a Big Ten analyst to say that, it just it, it doesn't feel right. It feels smarmy. It feels a little, uh, yeah, like that type of stuff. Well, it could um, be true, and you could actually feel that way. It's just being a Big Ten analyst, you probably shouldn't say it. Right. Yeah, and he deleted the tweets um, and then said that, oh, there's nothing illegal or immoral about doing that. Well, I mean, there is a little bit illegal, uh, according to the NCAA. Not illegal, illegal, but against the rules for uh, there's no such thing as pay for play, and you're essentially saying <laughs> that's, what they, that's what they should do. But, I, again, I know college basketball is going this way, and there is going to be money uh, you know, for Connor Asijan. Wisconsin, I think, is going to do a, an obviously pretty good job of trying to hold on to him. And uh, they have the ability NIL-wise to do it just like a lot of other schools do. So 
Uh, well, they've showed they can do it, right? Like, like they've yeah, showed I mean, an ability to retain talent thus far. Yeah, it, it just felt wrong. It felt right. It felt weird. Um, maybe it's just the the new college basketball, but the fact that he's a quote unquote a Big Ten analyst, I, I imagine that's that's probably not looked upon favorably yet. Well, maybe uh, in ten years we'll look at this a little differently, Zach. When we have like a you know a Connor Asijin from ten twenty years from now, and we're looking to package him up for a couple of four star recruits in the future. Yes, right. Yeah, because it feels like that's where we're heading. Right, but like right now. Yeah, I mean, it's, it just seemed wrong, and he obviously thought it was wrong enough that he deleted the tweet, so we'll see. Well, thanks for joining us, Zach. I know we kind of reached out last minute, but uh, Badgers got a big win, kept their season and NCAA tournament hopes alive, and then they will be in Lincoln on Saturday to take on Nebraska. Yep, can't, uh, can't wait for that. Uh, appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, we will have, obviously, as Ben has mentioned a couple times, Kenny and Heil for tonight, 5-6. to six. Also, another episode of The Swing, myself and Jesse Temple, about to record, so we'll have that in a little bit as well. All right. Thanks for joining Zach. Zach. Drive safe. There he is, our sports director, Zach Heilprin. Ben, we were talking about the Wisconsin Badgers, you know, kind of uh, what their schedule is looking like. But if you follow Joe Lenardi and you follow uh, some of the guys that are big into March Madness and Bracketology, Earlier this morning, we talked about it, but I wanted to reiterate going into this week. So on Monday, when Joe Lenardi posted his bracketology, Wisconsin was listed in the next four out. So that is right after the first four out. So technically, according to his rankings, Wisconsin was the 15 being left out of the tournament. Now, they got a win last night at Penn State. Big win for Wisconsin, really keeping their NCAA tournaments alive. Penn State was also in the next four out. They were the eighth team just out of the tournament. So that was a win that they needed. Now, if you remember earlier, Ebo and I actually talked about this last week when they had to play like Northwestern of the world. Northwestern, they were neck and neck with Wisconsin. They have since uh, lost to Michigan, but they beat Wisconsin, who again, they were fighting with on the bubble they, it looks and appears, are officially into the tournament. You look around the the Big Ten, and it looks like right now that Wisconsin-Northwestern uh, line kind of in the, the Big Ten standings is kind of the separation for tournament and not in the tournament. Now, if you look at Ken Palm, Ben, because Ken Palm has also been uh, pretty good at predicting not only teams that make the tournament, but how well teams do in the tournament. Uh, you have Wisconsin currently ranked 64th. So again, another fringe ranking for your Wisconsin Badgers. Going to be interesting because I think this team, I think this team has three guaranteed wins left in it, and I think the team needs to find at least four in the regular season. Yeah, and luckily for them, or maybe not luckily, but the teams they play are on that bubble too. Like a, a Penn State road win is legit in the eyes of the committee. It's not as if you're rolling over just to get a just to get a free win. They're not necessarily Indiana. Like they're not a surefire tournament team. But still, I I, I don't know the exact. There's the quad one, quad two stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know exactly the how, where, yeah, where like you the draw threshold. Right where you draw those lines. But that's a legit win. And now, if you're looking at Ken Palm, Penn State is actually higher ranked than Wisconsin. I know Lenardi had Wisconsin slightly higher than Penn State. Ken Palm has Penn State slightly higher than Wisconsin. I said 64th for Wisconsin. Penn State came in at 55th. Now, Northwestern sitting there in Joe Lenardi's clearly into the tournament. Ken Palm's got him at 57th. So obviously there's a little bit of discrepancy between the two, but those are kind of the two big bracketology NCAA guys that everyone looks at that are, are pretty good at what they do. Yeah. Yeah. They are definitely very accurate when it comes to that. Um, but, but yeah, like the path is there and a hot stretch would, would put them in. It's also the big 10 tournaments there. So you're guaranteed at least one more legit game, if not multiple, if you could win. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that they make it. And, and, and we said at the start of the year, what's a success for this Wisconsin team? And things have changed because they started hot. They started 11 and two, and then they fell back to earth 
and they, you know, played great against a team like Kansas and others within the conference. Uh, they beat a hurt Iowa team, but a success for this year was making the tournament. It always was. So no matter how you do it, whether it's a hot start and a slow finish, or you're consistently okay, you're consistently above average the whole season. I don't think that matters. Like if they make the tournament, I think this year is a success. If you look at the bracketology guys moving forward, obviously it's at Nebraska on Saturday. Nebraska is not in the tournament. And if you look at Ken Palm, you got to scroll all the way down. Nebraska is 104th in Ken Palm. Mm. So that's one that you got to go get. You got to win that game. Yeah, they can't lose that game. Then you look at Michigan. It's you have two games moving forward against Michigan. First one being at home. Obviously, they have Michigan in the tournament right now with Joe Lenardi, and it looks and it appears Ken Palm also has them in the tournament, ranked 52nd. But again. It's just like the Northwestern and the Penn States. They're in the 50s. Wisconsin's in the 60s. These are pretty close, comparative, competitive teams. Michigan might have more talent, but they haven't been consistent. And then, again, it is at home on Valentine's Day. Then your next two games after that is Rutgers and Iowa, both at the Kohl Center. And when you look at those teams, both of those teams are currently in the tournament, according to Lenardi. And... Ken Palm likes both of those teams as well. When you look at Rutgers, Ken Palm has them 16th. He has Iowa. uh, Let's see, where is Iowa? 32nd. So those are two teams that both Lenardi and Ken Palm firmly believe are much better than the Badgers. Then you're talking about Purdue at home. Again, Purdue is currently... Joe Lenardi's number one seed, and according to Ken Palm, they're also extremely high at fifth. And then Frankly, to round out the uh, season, it's Minnesota. A loss to this Purdue team is like Wisconsin football losing to Ohio State. Like this Purdue team, they have the player of the year. They're just that good. And you can't like basketball is a higher variance game, I believe, than football where better teams would lose more often. And there are big letdown spots throughout the season. So getting them at home, there's the, obviously the chance you win. Any team in the tournament, like we've seen, could just get hot. And, and make a lot of threes and advance because of that. But still, like that's a titan to the level of Ohio State in football this season. And that actually might go in a, in a positive, even a loss to Purdue might be a positive to Wisconsin if they take them down to the wire. It could be looked at kind of like the Kansas game. Hey, they played Kansas oh, once. Moral victory Monday. Yeah. I would it, love that. It stinks, but yeah, when you look at the grand scheme of things, like it sucks saying if you like a loser, but it honestly might be a difference between some of these other teams if you have a you know a a overtime loss to number two Kansas and like a a basket loss to number one Purdue. I mean, it, it could help them. But yeah, just on paper, you gotta beat Nebraska. You gotta at least go one and one against Michigan, and you gotta beat Minnesota. That puts you right at nine wins. You gotta find a win, and it's gonna it's gonna probably come at home because you have. Shots at home against Rutgers, Iowa, and Purdue moving forward. You got to be Minnesota. You got to take care of business. But real quick, before we go to break, let's go to the phone lines. 608-321-1670. Line one, who do I got? It's Greg in Madison. You know, I don't have to go on here, but I, can they comment on why Ohio State is is number 34 in the Ken Palm rankings? Uh, sure. Um, that real quick, because that's. You guys got to comment on that. I don't understand that. Yeah, I got Thanks you. for the call, Greg. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I would need to go back through all of Ohio State's games, but I mean, often like they're if a talented team that hasn't played well. Right. If you're a team like Wisconsin uh, or like, let's look at the Vikings in football, for instance, they, they win a lot of games, but they win a lot of games really close. And a lot of the underlying numbers say that it's not sustainable long term, but during the NFL season, the Vikings kept winning and they kept winning. And then finally, when it came down to it, they lost Ohio state's kind of the opposite. And I would need to pull up their game by game and look, I have it. it right here for you, Ben. The reason why I think Ohio state is that high one, they're a talented team. We know that recruiting goes a long way, but you look at what they've actually done this year. They've lost a ton of close games. They beat Cincinnati. Uh, they've beaten Rutgers. They've beaten Northwestern at Northwestern. They've beaten Iowa. Like those are all teams that are firmly in the tournament right now. And then you look at some of their losses. 
They lost against San Diego State, who's ranked. They lost at Duke. All of these games were all relatively close. Strength lost, of schedule. Yeah, lost against there. North Carolina in a close game by five. Lost to Purdue by two points. Lost to Maryland by single. Like, a lot of these games, they've lost by single digits, and they've been close games. But, yes, they have a high ranking, but that's a team that might be ranked high because they have talent and they have ability, but they didn't play up to it, and they don't make the tournament. 